Welcome to the Mighty Littles Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Anna and welcome back to the Mighty Littles Podcast. I am super excited this week to welcome back Dr. Joanna Parga-Belinke. She is a neonatologist that runs Baby Doctor Mamas, and she and I are collaborating on a series of educational podcasts for you guys. And this week is all about apnea and apnea of prematurity, and probably that really persnickety, very frustrating thing known as the Brady countdown as we get closer to discharge. So we really go into what is happening with apnea, what is periodic breathing, and why we have those Brady countdowns for our babies. This podcast would not be possible without Makala. She is a medical student who is matching in pediatrics with the hopes of becoming a neonatologist who has really been helping us out both with our Instagram information and education posts as well as the outline for our podcast and making sure we have all the most up-to-date data. So I really wanted to put a shout out to her to say thank you. As usual, if you are enjoying this podcast, please go on and leave us a review, send us a rating, um, and if you have any feedback, go ahead and send it to me, Anna at MightyLittles.com. All that information is available to you guys on Instagram, uh, which is at Mighty Littles. So without further ado, we're going to jump into today's podcast all about apnea of prematurity. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Dr. Pargo Belinke, welcome back to the Mighty Littles podcast. I am really excited to have you here today. We are going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about apnea of prematurity, one of the biggest things that we deal with in the NICU and probably one of the things that causes parents the most consternation uh, as they're looking at going towards discharge. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. And consternation is such a good word to yes. describe. No, it is. Prematurity, especially in that last little part where we're monitoring for it for a lot of these babies and it's holding up the discharge and we're resetting the apnea counter. Yes. Um, I feel the same as the parents when yeah. this is happening. Exactly. So I'm so glad we're going to talk about it and share these feelings. Yes, absolutely. So why don't we start off with... Um, trying to define what we mean by apnea of prematurity, right? Because there's, you know, there's this generalized idea about apnea and apnea can occur in adults and in children, but we're specifically going to talk about apnea of prematurity in preterm babies. So how would you define apnea of prematurity? Well, I would start with being premature, right? So, and, and apnea prematurity affects lower gestational ages more than it affects higher gestational ages, but it can happen in anyone who's premature. But essentially, if you take 28 weeks, anyone born below 28 weeks is probably going to have it more severe than anyone above 28 weeks, but 28 weekers are going to have it up to 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, eh. 35 and 36, I think you start to see it less, but, you know, it could affect anyone in that age range with kind of 20 weeks being a, a bit of a turning point. We usually think about it as pauses in breathing that last for more than 20 seconds um, and usually are associated with some sort of hemodynamic or 
cardiovascular or pulse ox changes. So, you know, a baby who is breathing and then holds their breath for about 20 seconds, which causes their heart rate to drop a little bit, usually less than 80, or causes their oxygen saturations to drop. And usually we'll say, you know, less than 88, although if it's 85 and it comes right back up, that's okay. Um, so it's that kind of 20 seconds is a big deal. Yeah, that 20 seconds is a big deal. And the associated either desaturation or bradycardia is kind of a big deal. And that's where you see some variation in definitions, though. So you were just saying, like, you're thinking like 85, not so bad. Some people would say, you know, 85, not so bad, 80, really bad. You know, people kind of, I think people do kind of strike the 80s as where you shouldn't be in terms of your oxygen saturation, but where in the 80s there's a little bit of a debate and kind of the same with heart rate, um, less than a hundred. Some people think is significant. Some people think less than 80 is significant. Um, so we don't have a great handle on that. And, you know, sometimes we also say, does it need stimulation to come out of it? So sometimes if, if it's a, it's a, if it's a brief event and the baby's able to come out of it themselves and it's not related to a feed, which we'll get into or being stimulated, then people will say, okay, well, that wasn't significant because the baby could get out of it themselves. And I think units work really hard to try to streamline their definitions and how they're recording these so that um, families can have more clarity on what's considered a significant event related to apnea of prematurity. Right. But the apnea itself refers to that pause in breathing. Yeah, that apnea refers to the pause. And I think for us, you know, the the parents will come in and the nurses will have charted some event and the parents are like, does it count? Does it not count? What counts? Mm -hmm. What doesn't count? And that can be really, really hard to define. Um, and, and every baby's just a little bit different, right? So if you're 34 weeks and you have a mild event, that may count more than if you're 39 weeks and you have a mild event. And the how low your heart rate goes kind of will play into it as well. We've been talking about apnea. Sometimes we call them apnea, bradycardia, desaturation events. So you might hear people say ABD events, and that's what they're talking about. Or sometimes they're referred to as cardiorespiratory events. I always tell parents the cardiac and respiratory systems are really intimately connected. And so that's why we call them cardiorespiratory events. And that's why you see drops in heart rate when you see issues with breathing too. So, and it's, I think even harder to define because of periodic breathing. Yes. Which is kind of a normal phenomenon where babies will sometimes, in, they'll sometimes slow down in their respiratory rate and have a little bit of a pause in their breathing and then pick it right back up. I'm, I feel like I'm always trying to explain periodic breathing when I'm in the NICU using my finger wiggling. And so I'm like, so babies breathe fast and I'm wiggling my finger and then they slow down and I make slower waves and then I pause and then they start to breathe fast again. And those pauses, that's where that apnea of prematurity can come in. But you have to remember that periodic breathing is a normal pattern for babies. It's just that it gets exaggerated in our preterm babies. And that's where that apnea of prematurity comes from. Preterm babies are dramatic. That's They're a dramatic. good word. Yes, they are dramatic. <laughs> Some are more dramatic than others. And, and so why does this happen? Really, it happens because these babies are immature. And because the centers that control breathing in the brain are immature. And because also their airway is immature that they're trying to breathe through. 
And so really all of this is based on them needing to grow and develop in the NICU. And so even though it is, you know, quote, pathologic, it's also just them learning and growing and becoming term. So I kind of like try to set parents up for the expectation that this is typical of premature babies. And as babies mature, they will grow out of it. Babies kind of present their prematurity and their immaturity in different ways. So for some babies, it takes them longer to remember to breathe and be able to control that periodic breathing. Whereas for other babies, it takes them a little bit longer to eat. And not all babies will mature at the same pace. So you may have a baby that eats really well, but is still having apnea or bradycardia because of that periodic breathing. And again, that's a maturity thing. Or you may have a baby that's never had any apnea or bradycardia, but just takes a long time to mature with their eating. So while lots of babies will mature kind of at the same time, I think one of the biggest frustrations is when you have a baby that can eat, so the eating matures first, but the periodic breathing and the breath holding type of immaturity does not mature as fast, and now we're stuck in the hospital on a Brady countdown. I mean, what you were kind of describing is the classic frustration, I feel like, for NICU parents is, here's this baby, they're corrected to 40, they were a 24-weeker, let's say, they're corrected to 40 weeks, they're finally termed, they're at their due date, parents already have in their mind, my due date is around my discharge date, and they have this apnea, and it doesn't happen every day. It happens every other day or every third day. And then our apnea watch is five to seven days. So every time it happens and they're really well appearing in between, we have to reset their apnea counter. Yep, we do. And it is really frustrating for parents. It is. And and to get into a little bit more why the why of this, there's the central apnea where your brainstem is immature. And so you just can't signal to remind you to breathe. And then there's the what we call obstructive apnea or that airway apnea I was talking about where I always tell parents to feel their windpipe or their trachea, which you can just kind of feel in the front of the, your neck, which I always do when I'm telling them to feel it. <laughs> And I say that's made out of cartilage and that cartilage in a baby is just not, again, very well developed. It's premature. And so the airway can kind of just collapse on itself and needs pressure to hold it open. So sometimes these babies need things like CPAP or even need an endotracheal tube to help them with apnea. And also, if you think about it, the chest wall and all the muscles that help you breathe in a premature baby, not that strong. And so that's another reason why they just can't generate the pressure to hold open their airway and stop this apnea from happening. And then in some babies, you can have kind of a mixed presentation where they'll start off by having periodic breathing and then they'll start to hold their breath. And as they're holding their breath, which is that central apnea, then their airway will become a little bit more floppy. It may collapse down on itself. And now you end up with more of the obstructive apnea. So you can have a mixed picture as well. Yeah, and and the treatment though, I think is pretty standard. NICU nurses are the best nurses. And um, they get to know these babies. So these babies tend to have patterns of the apnea that they're going to have. And so the nurses that really know them well know how to intervene for them. And a lot of times nurses will just see if they can get out of it on their own. And if they can't get out of it on their own is when they need to intervene. And I was talking about giving positive pressure, stimulating them sometimes, just sort of waking them up and reminding them like, hey, you have to breathe. 
gets them out of it. Um, and on top of that, and you can tell me, Anna, what your unit does. For any BB that we have in our unit that's below 32 weeks, we start a medication for them to help them with apnea, which is which is caffeine, yes. which is always funny to me to call it a medication because it's something I self-medicate with daily. Yes, so do <laughs> I. And we, we have the, same, the exact same thing. So anybody that's less than 32 weeks automatically gets started on caffeine on admission. There's good studies that show that starting caffeine early can get kids extubated faster, can, can reduce the rate of chronic lung disease. So we always start it right on admission for anybody less than 32 weeks. And then kind of between 32 and 34 weeks, we kind of take a wait and see approach. If the kid is pretty small and um, is having trouble breathing, oftentimes we'll go ahead and start it and then stop it sooner. And if you have a 32-week baby that comes out screaming and vigorous, we'll wait and see if they start to show us these kind of more periodic breathing and apnea of prematurity before we start the caffeine. And for us, we always start with a loading dose. So you kind of give like this big, nice mm -hmm. booming dose of caffeine. And then you can start a lower dose either once or twice a day and go up on that dose if you need to for some babies. And then for babies over 34 weeks, we really don't use caffeine unless we have a baby that's just acting more immature. And then we'll give them just a one-time loading dose of caffeine. But know that when you give that caffeine, it's changing that central pattern of breathing. That's what it does is it is it kind of kicks that central pattern in. And so you have to watch babies for five to seven days after stopping caffeine. So if I give your baby a dose of caffeine as a 35-weeker, I'm committing that baby to staying in the NICU on a watch for at least five to seven days. Most of the time, that's a non-issue because those babies are acting more immature. And so the other things like holding their temperature, keeping their bilirubin stable, and feeding also would keep them in the NICU. But that kind of is a, a defined, yes, you have to stay for this long. You know, and it's interesting. We say anyone who's born less than 35 weeks needs to be in the NICU because of issues of immaturity. That includes apnea prematurity. Anyone 35 weeks or greater, we don't think it's as, it's as much of an issue. Um, so unless, you know, we'll, we'll say stay with mom unless, you know, there's something that comes up that, that you need the NICU for support for. And we're the same way with our monitoring after caffeine, that you really need a five to seven day period. Caffeine hangs out in the body for a, a while in these premature babies. And so, and that's, and I think that's how we came up with the convention of, you know, when we're doing an apnea or an event watch, even if we've discontinued caffeine weeks before. So sometimes in our, you know, 24 weekers, let's take that case example again, you've got your 24 weeker, they're trucking along. Um, usually it's around 34 weeks that we're like, hey, maybe let's stop the caffeine and kind of see what they do. And usually we'll tolerate them having some events and won't restart it unless they're having really bad events because we want them to not have it in their system before we discharge them. But that's a debate. Some people leave the caffeine on till 36 weeks. There's not great data to say you should stop it at any particular point. And now I think there's even more information that, hey, maybe you should just leave it on <laughs> until you're really a week away from discharge just to help with them remembering to breathe. And also, you know, it's a stimulant, so it helps muscle contraction and other things too to just get them going to breathe. Yeah, I think when I trained, we learned you always stop caffeine at 34 weeks. And now 
for most of our babies, we will still stop caffeine in that 34 to 35 week mark, right? 34 and change. But for my really small babies, my X23, 24, 25, those those really micro preemies, particularly the ones who have worse lung disease, who might still be on quite a bit of oxygen or positive pressure at the time they hit that 34-week mark, those are the babies that will keep caffeine on. And so oftentimes, you know, caffeine is a, a weak diuretic. And so we'll keep that caffeine on until they're on less than two liters of high flow nasal cannula. And then we'll discontinue it because you're trying to walk that balance of getting the benefit of the caffeine, but not holding on to it so long that it delays the discharge. So if I have a baby that's on room air and working on eating, they don't need the caffeine. But if I have a kid that's on two liters or three liters or still CPAP, what's the benefit of getting rid of that caffeine when there's no possibility that they're going to be eating everything and on low enough oxygen to go home within the next five to seven days anyways? And so let's take the benefit of the caffeine for the chronic lung disease, the weak diuretic, and hold on to it a little bit later, more like 36, 38 weeks. Yeah, you bring up a good point because a lot of these babies have maybe some extra fluid on the lungs because the lungs are, again, immature and there might be some inflammation. So a diuretic will help um, with some of these babies, we think. And, you know, I think you bring up a good point, too, because there's benefits to caffeine are there risks, right? Because you might people might be thinking, well, if I drink a lot of caffeine, I get really tachycardic. My heart is racing and I'm like awake and alert and can't sleep. Um that it would be the side effects we'd worry about in a premature baby too. Are they really what we call tachycardic? So is their heart rate really high? And we don't really think of, we think a little bit of sleep-wake cycles, but we also think of weight gain. And, you know, are we making their metabolism so fast that they can't gain weight? And um, that's also something we want to see for discharge. So, you know, sometimes that's a reason why we might escalate our caffeine dose to try to treat apnea and then say, hey, we have to pull back on it because we're seeing some metabolic changes that make us a little worried about this baby. But I would say that's pretty rare. Yeah. And mostly I've found that my premature babies tolerate um, dosing of caffeine. And I don't want to get too specific about our, our highest dosing that we do, um, but we don't usually check levels of caffeine. So we usually just have kind of a number we think of as like, this is pretty high level of caffeine. So I don't really want to go higher than this, but, um, but most times I think of caffeine as having more benefit than it has side effects when yes. we give it to babies. Yeah. And I, and I think your point about those side effects is absolutely right. Those are the exact side effects that we're looking for. Most of the time as babies are getting older, they're kind of outgrowing that dose. So they tend to be on some of the lower doses and we just let it kind of tail on. Um, well, and sometimes when we have babies that are experiencing some of those side effects, like they aren't growing very well or they have a resting heart rate that's more in the 180 to 190 range, we will hold a dose of caffeine or hold caffeine for 24 hours and then restart it at a lower dose to see if it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And for some babies, it doesn't make a difference. They still have a heart rate that's in the 180s. um, And it probably isn't related to caffeine. That's just who they are. But that is one of the approaches that we'll look to see if the caffeine is causing us any problems. Yeah. But I mean, for your, you guys, and we've ta- we've kind of already touched on this, it's five to seven days without any apnea yes. before you can go home. Do you tend to go five days? Do you tend to go seven days? What's your feeling on that? Yeah. So um, 
we go seven days from discontinuing caffeine. So, you know, the caffeine's got to be out of their system enough that then we feel comfortable that with the five-day countdown from there. For routine apnea and prematurity, it's five days. Um, For us, too, we tend to be more of the five-day. Yeah, we tend to be more of the five-day. There are units that do three-day countdowns. Um, and I guess I've just had enough experience where we reset that clock on day two or three that it makes me a little bit nervous. And I, and I think, too that the type of spell matters as well. And so uh, I think this is a good place to kind of talk through some scenarios and see what people would do, right? So you have a 28-weeker who's now 35 weeks corrected, who's eating everything, who has periodic breathing on the monitor, who has uh, apnea, that lasts for 25 seconds with a heart rate down to 65 and a SAT of 75, right? That's very clearly apnea of prematurity. And yeah, is still, I made a face yes. that would make me nervous. <laughs> yeah, and it's still home. not term baby. Like that's a really clear cut. That is apnea of prematurity. I know your kid is mature from a feeding standpoint. You have to stay for five days. That would be a five-day yep. count. Um, and there Gosh. there really wouldn't be a lot of discussion around that in our group. What about for your group? No, no. That's a slam dunk. Yeah. Okay. So let's change up the scenario a little bit. And let's do a former 24-week baby who's in room air, who's eating everything and ready to go home. And this baby has kind of a choking episode with a feeding and so the you know the mom is feeding the baby the baby makes some noise the mom pulls the bottle out of the mouth and and pats his back the monitor starts to ding so the mom looks up by the time the monitor starts dinging the mom looks down and the baby looks okay but the heart rate went to 78 and the sats were like 85 now what do you do does that count well, now Does you're in a pickle. Not I count. Think, yeah. What, what, where this, and these are the ones that I think cause parents so much stress and cause neonatologists so much stress because is this prematurity? Because I don't know, my term twins had cough and sputter episodes when I brought them home where I just pulled the bottle out of their mouth, right? So is, is this something that they can go home with or that they can't go home with? What would you do in that scenario? Well, you're talking about a pretty savvy parent there, right? You're probably talking about a parent who has had the time to be in the NICU to be able to feed the baby. Not all parents have that luxury of being there and and being able to monitor feeds and know how to intervene with a feed. But, um, you know, I think that that doesn't make a difference because you kind of describe this parent as pulling the bottle out because um, they realized that the baby may be what we're afraid of is aspirating. Because um, I always tell parents, you know, you're, you're, you can feel your windpipe or your your breathing tube and your feeding tube your esophagus is right behind it and so your baby needs to be able to coordinate breathing and eating <laughs> as well um, but it was interesting that you mentioned specific numbers so in our unit we use 80 as kind of the low set of the heart rate so you said this baby went to 75 so just by kind of like our unit definition that would be considered maybe a more significant event for that baby. But you said the oxygen saturation 
went to only 85, which is considered the lower limit of what we consider to be not a significant event. But you do get into debates over it at mm -hmm. the bedside when you're rounding because, you know, again, here's a parent who knew how to intervene in that moment and the baby recovered right. with the parent's intervention. However, we still think that 75 might be just a little bit too low of a heart rate. So in our unit, we would probably hold that, count that as an event, but not without discussion and not without counseling the family and not without saying, hey, they still have, you know, you bring up an interesting point, you know, is it apnea when it's related to feeds and a little bit of reflux and a little bit of coordination? Um, yes, maybe. Yes and no. I, I talk about it yeah. as maturity, right? Yes. So you have periodic breathing that when exaggerated is apnea and they have pauses in breathing. So that's that they, they get better with. But then there's also this slightly more nebulous suck, swallow, breathe, coordination and maturity of your airway and your esophagus. That That is a maturity thing. And it's not that typical periodic breathing that turns into apnea, but rather it's, I'm not quite coordinated with my swallow and my body is trying to protect my lungs and clamping down my vocal cords to prevent the milk from going down there. And now I, as a preemie, ex-preemie, have to figure out how to clear my airway, open up my airway, take a deep breath in and swallow, and do that in a mature fashion. And sometimes it's not just the apnea of prematurity that leads to that five-day Brady countdown, but also this generalized maturity of the airway and the suck-swallow-breathe mechanism, mm -hmm. which is lumped in with those A's, B's, and D's, which is lumped in with that apnea of prematurity that can also, it gets better with time. And parents hate when I say it gets better with time because there isn't anything that I can do to make that happen sooner. Your baby is on its own timeline. There's no medication I can give. There's no surgery for me to give. We can try all the different bottles and nipples in the world, which can make things a little bit better in terms of Sometimes, the pacing, yeah. but isn't a magic fix. And that also is maturity. We would hold that, that example of that kid whose heart rate went into the 70s, but we may not do a full five days. There might be a little bit of wiggle room on that five-day countdown. So maybe we would do four. Maybe we would say, well, we just want to make sure that there's no more feeding-related events over the next three days, and then the baby would go. So it's not as hard and fast of a five- to seven-day countdown as the periodic breathing. Yeah, we haven't come up with the three-day convention, so that would still be a five-day for us. Yeah. And but, but, you're, but you're hinting at that concept of just more time right like the baby is still a little bit immature and I always tell parents we really just don't want your baby to have any significant events at home and time here on the monitors kind of gives us more reassurance and we also want you to not think that your baby needs to be continuously monitored at home because right. that's not something that parents are capable of always intervening on and knowing how to interpret in their own house yeah I I always say one, I want you, I want your baby to be safe and mature at discharge that I don't think your baby needs to be monitored any more than a term baby leaving the hospital. And two, the only thing worse than being admitted to the NICU is being readmitted to the NICU because 
now you've gone home once and something happened. So not only are you back, but now the second time you go home, there's a lot more anxiety and a little bit of, well, we failed at this the first time. You didn't fail at it, but that's the that's the sentiment that people say. Um, so parental just, guilt. Yes, yeah. parental guilt. Like this didn't go well the first time. We failed. Now, how how can you make sure this isn't going to happen again? So that second discharge is always so much harder. So the only thing worse than getting admitted to the NICU is getting readmitted to the NICU, and that's what we're really trying to avoid at all costs. Our our goal is always to send babies home in the safest way possible without the need for home monitoring in in rare with rare exceptions you know there are exceptions where babies do need hospital grade monitoring and we are not going to talk about home monitoring today um because it is such a big uh thing to dive into but we are going to come back and talk about home monitoring just just home monitoring on a subsequent episode because there's so much to say about it, we don't want to do it any disservice by just making two sentences right now. So you'll have to check back for a next episode where we really dive into home monitoring. I love that idea, Anna, because I think, you know, that is the next question. Should I buy a home monitor for my baby? And yes. my universal answer is, oh, no. But the reason I say that is for so many things that that I think a whole episode would really help us flesh out. Yes, um, so I totally agree. It it ends up being literally a twenty minute discussion. Yes, with every parent leaving the NICU who asks me, "Should I buy the outlet? Should I buy this other monitor that measures breathing? Should I get this strap that goes around my baby's chest?" There, there's so many different types of monitors, and families are really questioning whether that will help at home and so I think we need to really do it service so let's come back and talk about it on a oh, yeah. on a subsequent a whole episode yeah. to that yeah that Definitely. sounds good um but is so what are our last thoughts on apnea I mean <laughs> I think for me the bottom line with apnea of prematurity is one it's normal it's scary for parents but it is normal two time is your friend even though time is so hard, just know that time is your friend and it will get better with time. And then three, one thing that we really didn't talk about in this episode is that there are, apnea is one of the ways that babies show that they're stressed out. And so if your baby is a baby that's never had any periodic breathing or apnea of prematurity and all of a sudden starts having apnea, then we're gonna look for a different cause. Is this because they expended too much energy? Did we take the caffeine away too soon? Is this related to us pushing them to eat more and now they're so stressed out because they're eating more that they're going to hold their breath more? Or is this because they have an infection, either a urinary tract infection or a virus or some sort of bacterial infection? That can be one of the, the signs. So knowing what your baby typically does and having nurses and primary nurses that know what your baby typically does can really help us determine whether or not we need to be worried about an increase in spells, an increase in apnea, and do we need to take that next step to investigate what's happening? So those would be my my kind of three big take-home points about apnea of prematurity. I love that because it normalizes the apnea of prematurity, which I think we have to do. And every baby's got kind of their own rhythm 
um, and when they're outside of their rhythm of breathing and what they typically do, um, you have to look for other causes of apnea because what we think about causing apnea can be a very broad range of things. Um, I'm just kind of laughing to myself because infection is always one of those things that we think of in the NICU, but there are many others. And so, you know, and, and parents get really good, I think, about knowing their babies and knowing their events and knowing when it's outside of what is typical for them. And so that's why we really so much value parents being in the NICU and giving their input and um, being a part of the care team. Um, and I think that becomes even more important when you talk about something like apnea prematurity, which changes over time and which parents really see and really know about for their babies and can really act upon when they're learning how to feed and learning how to feed their babies. And so, you know, I think that's the big take home for me is just that this is typical, that this is something we see in a lot of babies and that this is one of the things that is going to be the thing that lingers till discharge and what we, and that kind of sign of maturity that we wait for um, until the baby goes home. Yes, I have a mug that I will take on rounds sometime. It's like a water, a big water cup, and it has Dr. Zimmerman on it. But then it also has, you know, NICU, where you're never too young for caffeine. Um, And that is a true statement. Like, the younger you are, the more caffeine you're going to get until we try to take take it off. But, you know. Say love it's, <laughs> just it's the NICU. Caffeine drinking. Yeah. No, you're never too young. I don't have a mug, but I got the caffeine intake daily. So. <laughs> I calculated it out one time, the <laughs> per kilo dosing and how much I would have to drink to get the same amount of per kilo dosing of caffeine. Oh, goodness. It is a lot of ca- I would have to drink a lot. So I don't drink coffee, but I do drink Diet Coke. That's that's my vice of choice. Um And I would have to drink so much Diet Coke that I would float away to get the same per kilo (laughs) dosing of caffeine that we give to our our tiny babies. Um, Yeah, so we we give them good doses of caffeine. I have to calculate that out in lattes because I am a coffee drinker. I would be Um, interested to see. shots of espresso. Yeah, Yeah. shots of espresso. (laughs) Once you calculate it out, send it to me and I'll put it on the... I'll, I'll I'll add it into the episode. You would have to drink okay, X that, number that of. That sounds sh- like a fun neutologist activity. Yes, to just calculate. We'll figure Don't out how many that. shots of espresso <laughs> you need and how many uh, cans of diet coke I need to get the same amount of caffeine as we give our preemies. Okay, I like that. That gives us something to do in the interim before we do our our home apnea monitoring episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so t- you you're gonna have to tune into the next episode to figure out how much caffeine we need. All right. Thank you, Anna, for having me back on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. This is just so fun. Hopefully you guys are getting a lot out of these uh, education episodes. You keep saying it, Walt. No. Podcast.